2: Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. I am honored to be with you tonight. And as you know, this is the show that respects your intelligence. We honor you as citizens and we bring you the stories and the perspectives that so often the mainstream media simply ignore we're joined now by david zier and amanda head they are real america's voice correspondents and in case you wondered whether or not they're willing to go the extra mile for you they have been out in the freezing cold all day overseeing the capitol mall watching what has transpired today and i have to say david and amanda we appreciate your service appreciate you guys being out there on the front lines and we recognize you're some of the only people who've actually been allowed to be there at the capitol during this inauguration amanda let's start with you some of your observations on the day
3: sure yeah thank you so much for having us on it's a little bit eerie you know eric it's it's strange to be here for an inauguration Where there aren't people, Um, you know, there were about 150, 200 people up closest to the Capitol. They had chairs lined up in front of the Capitol and in front of uh, the structures that they had built. But as you know, from past inaugurations, you've got people who extend all the way to the lawn, all the way to the National Mall. And then for folks like President Trump and President Obama, those people, you know, continue all the way back. Uh, at the end of the mall to the Washington Monument today. Obviously a very, very stark difference. Um, I thought that Joe Biden's speech was interesting. Um, I think that it included a lot of nice platitudes. I wanted to hear him say a little bit more concrete things about unity. Um, I feel like one of the best steps towards unity is to stop Silencing one side. Maybe we need to come together as a nation. Have every Biden voter paired up with one Trump voter, and they just go to mediation and talk out their problems. Because as of right now, uh, we conservatives we don't really get a chance to talk out our problems to the other side.
2: Yeah, and David, what about for you? You've been a been a longtime observer of Washington D.C. What was this like for you to be out there on a, an inauguration day where? You know, President Biden started his speech by saying that, you know, America is about we the people, talking about democracy, about how we needed all the people to pull together. But strikingly, there simply were no people at the inauguration. Uh, David, your thoughts?
1: Well... Yeah, the this, this speech was kind of uh, homogenized and short. It, it wasn't moving at all. My friend put it like it was like a flat sprite and stale saltines, you know? Um, it really wasn't that moving or anything. You know, I miss the Trump speeches where we talk about rugged individualism that made this country great and waking up every day and letting you guys out of the gates, you know? Trump's speech are really inspirational, even though he went on the attack. So, like, even his inauguration speech in 2017, It was riveting, you know, and it was what people wanted to hear who voted for him. I didn't see that from Biden today. Um, And there were, you know, eight times as many people in the Guatemalan caravan today than were here. And I feel bad for the troops that were taken away from their families, tens of thousands of troops, to cover this with no specific real threats. I think it might have been a little bit of a diversion from, you know, Biden not having, you know, uh, big numbers here. I don't know. Um, But... You know, that that was uh, what I took away from it today. Uh, I've been to other inaugurations, they were electric. Uh, This was a far cry from that.
3: Yeah, and, and, you know, tonight, this is normally when you would have inauguration balls and cocktail parties and all manners of festive activities. But as I understand it, there are definitely no balls. If there are cocktail parties, they are probably uh, outlawed. And so they are happening behind closed doors with closed blinds and curtains. But there's going to be, as I understand it, a small gathering at the White House. But that, again, is going to be very, very small because I don't think they want to end up with a Gavin Newsom situation where uh, the rules are for thee but not for me.
2: Yeah, I mean, as you said, this is traditionally a day, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, I mean, there were huge crowds that came out for Obama's inauguration, huge crowds that came out for Trump's inauguration, and there were people who came out to protest at at both of those uh, inaugurations. But it was really an opportunity for Americans to come together. And as, as both of you said, traditionally after the inauguration itself, There's often a series of executive actions that take place from the new president. And then there is usually a series of parties. There are festivities, there are organizations that come together. All of kind of American civic life often comes together to sort of celebrate and begin a new administration. It sounds like none of that uh, is happening on uh, the streets or in the buildings of Washington, D.C. tonight. Uh, David, when you think about what the president uh, said today, what President Biden said today, was there anything, because I know you're often talking on on social media with folks around the country, was there anything that you felt he said that did reach out to conservatives or or Trump supporters?
1: Well, so he talks about unity, uh, but his 17 executive orders have a radical agenda to hurt the United States, some of them, you know, and I don't think it resonated with the people and I don't think it made conservatives comfortable because they're coming after the conservative thought. And, um, you know, I think this is a little bit of a cover to keep the speech kind of simple and everything while, you know, there's uh, maybe more extreme leftists in the Democratic Party these days you know, go, go, that are gonna come after people on the right. So I don't believe the unity thing in total. Um, there wasn't unity, um, you know, when they were talking about, um, you know, the, now we learn today because of John Solomon and uh, the White House that the Russia hoax was fake from the beginning, you know? So did that yeah. cause unity for the past four yeah, years? Fair. So I'm skeptical.
2: Yeah, and Amanda, we've talked in the past about kind of this, this striking difference between rhetoric versus reality. I've heard from a lot of people today yeah. expressing their concerns that the reality of a lot of these executive orders seem to be actually evidence of the advancing of a leftist agenda. Your thoughts.
3: Yeah, and you know, to what you, you and David both were saying about these executive orders, um, you know, I, I am a give people the benefit of the doubt kind of person Mm -hmm. Uh, now with Joe Biden that's a little bit harder because he has been in office for so long but I I would like to even have you know maybe some rose-colored glasses on and think to myself okay maybe these dozen or so executive orders aren't necessarily they aren't intentionally to hurt the United States but you look at you know the executive order to halt funding to the border wall um, that does hurt the United States there really isn't any uh, way you cut it now you of course can argue the pathos side of it, which is, you know, we have to let these people in. Okay, well, what about Americans who, you know, they they rely on low-income workers, they rely on low-income Americans to fill those jobs? And what community does it hurt the most when you bring in those illegal immigrants? And let's talk about COVID. You're going to bring these people across the border when we're suffering from a pandemic, economically, uh, medically, is that really the best idea? And again, maybe he has the best of intentions, but it sure seems like, uh, a, a long walk for a short drink of water to arrive at that conclusion. Yeah.
2: And, and, and Amanda, let me body, um, let me jump in on, on one of those other yes. other points as well. Amanda, one of the things that, you know, we were hearing throughout was that this, you know, 25,000 troops being in place, Americans being excluded for the first time from a presidential inauguration that was taking place at the Capitol, that all of this was done for security. At the same time, we heard that there was not actionable intelligence about real security threats. Um, any information right. that you gleaned on the front lines from your conversations with folks? Sounds like all of this went off and that there, there were no security threats to, to speak of, at least none that we know of right now.
1: Uh, well, I would say that it was excessive, if anything. They probably yeah. could have done the same job with 1,000 to 3,000 you know, troops here. And I know Trump called in the National Guard as well. Um, Seemed like overkill, right, Amanda?
3: Yeah, yeah, a little little bit of overkill considering uh, I didn't see a single Trump supporter and I didn't, actually, I didn't see any Biden supporters. That's not to say that they weren't here, but they weren't decked out with bells on for Joe Biden to be inaugurated. They were in, you know, regular civilian clothes. And even people in that category, when we were coming here this morning at the crack of dawn, I, maybe a dozen on the street as we drove here. And it's not, it's not a short walk. It's, it's over two miles here from where we were staying. So. Yeah, I think
1: there's an enthusiasm gap for Biden. I think it was more about getting rid of Trump. Yeah. Than and if,
2: if you right. could, guys, give, give our viewers just in the last kind of 90 seconds or so that we have left. They are obviously seeing this picture behind you. They saw the empty inauguration. But if you could, Amanda, just give them a sense for what it's like walking around now in Washington, D.C.
3: You know, I I have to say that of all of my groups, all of my friends in Los Angeles, people who support this president, I'm the only one here. So they are all looking to me and looking to your show, Eric, for this report. It's eerie. I don't know how else to describe it except for maybe, you know, dystopic feeling. You've got, you know, all of these military... Thank goodness for our military with these service members here and and I have to wonder if some of them are thinking to themselves, well, why the heck am I here? I could be at home with my family or, you know, doing running my small business or whatever the case may be. So I, you know, I think eerie is the best word to describe it for me.
2: Excellent. Well, David and Amanda, we very much appreciate you guys being out there. It is so important for our viewers to get that kind of frontline perspective, not only to see what was happening at the inauguration, but to get a sense for what it's really like there at an empty capital, and particularly appreciate you guys also giving us that frontline perspective about what it's like right now in washington dc i know that both of you have been out there you've been braving the cold doing this for our real america's voice viewers all day long thank you guys so much for doing that very much appreciate you making this this effort um and for those of you who, who are at home stay right with us later in the program we're going to be covering president trump's farewell address as well as sitting down with John Solomon about a breaking story about recently declassified documents related to the Russia collusion hoax. Stay right with us.
4: What makes a life
3: a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way?
2: back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Reitens. This is the show that respects your intelligence, and we're willing to bring you the news and the perspectives that the mainstream media so often simply ignore. Now, one of the things that many in the mainstream media ignored was President Trump's farewell address. So I want to go now to President Trump's farewell address from the White House. Have a listen for yourself.
5: Most of all, I want to thank the American people. To serve as your President has been an honor beyond description. Thank you for this extraordinary privilege. And that's what it is, a great privilege and a great honor. We must never forget that while Americans will always have our disagreements, we are a nation of incredible, decent, faithful, and peace-loving citizens who all want our country to thrive and flourish and be very, very successful and good. We are a truly magnificent nation. All Americans were horrified by the assault on our capital. Political violence is an attack on everything we cherish as Americans. It can never be tolerated. Now, more than ever, we must unify around our shared values and rise above the partisan rancor and forge our common destiny. Four years ago, I came to Washington as the only true outsider ever to win the presidency. I had not spent my career as a politician, but as a builder looking at open skylines and imagining infinite possibilities. I ran for president because I knew there were towering new summits for America just waiting to be scaled. I knew the potential for our nation was boundless as long as we put America first. So I left behind my former life and stepped into a very difficult arena but an arena nevertheless with all sorts of potential, if properly done. America had given me so much, and I wanted to give something back. Together with millions of hardworking patriots across this land, we built the greatest political movement in the history of our country. We also built the greatest economy in the history of the world. It was about America first, because we all wanted to make America great again, we restored the principle that a nation exists to serve its citizens. Our agenda was not about right or left. It wasn't about Republican or Democrat, but about the good of a nation, and that means the whole nation. With the support and prayers of the American people, we achieved more than anyone thought possible. Nobody thought we could even come close. We passed the largest package of tax cuts and reforms in American history. We slashed more job-killing regulations than any administration had ever done before. We fixed our broken trade deals, withdrew from the horrible Trans-Pacific Partnership and the impossible Paris Climate Accord, renegotiated the one-sided South Korea deal, And we replaced NAFTA with the groundbreaking USMCA. That's Mexico and Canada. A deal that's worked out very, very well. Also, and very importantly, we imposed historic and monumental tariffs on China. Made a great new deal with China. But before the ink was even dry, we and the whole world got hit with the China virus. Our trade relationship was rapidly changing. Billions and billions of dollars were pouring into the U.S., but the virus forced us to go in a different direction. The whole world suffered, but America outperformed other countries economically because of our incredible economy and the economy that we built. Without the foundations and footings, it wouldn't have worked out this way, we wouldn't have some of the best numbers we've ever had. We also unlocked our energy resources and became the world's number one producer of oil and natural gas, by far. Powered by these policies, we built the greatest economy in the history of the world. We reignited America's job creation and achieved record-low unemployment for African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, women, almost everyone. Income soared, wages boomed, the American dream was restored, and millions were lifted from poverty in just a few short years. It was a miracle. Stock market set one record after another with 148 stock market highs during this short period of time and boosted the retirements and pensions of hardworking citizens all across our nation. 401ks are at a level they've never been at before. We've never seen numbers like we've seen, and that's before the pandemic and after the pandemic. We rebuilt the American manufacturing base, opened up thousands of new factories, and brought back the beautiful phrase made in the USA. To make life better for working families, we doubled the child tax credit. And signed the largest ever expansion of funding for child care and development. We joined with the private sector to secure commitments to train more than 16 million American workers for the jobs of tomorrow. When our nation was hit with the terrible pandemic, we produced not one, but two vaccines with record breaking speed, and more will quickly follow. They said it couldn't be done, but we did it. They called it a medical miracle, and that's what they're calling it right now, a medical miracle. Another administration would have taken three, four, five, maybe even up to 10 years to develop a vaccine. We did it in nine months. We grieve for every life lost, and we pledge in their memory to wipe out this horrible pandemic once and for all. When the virus took its brutal toll on the world's economy, we launched the fastest economic recovery our country has ever seen. We passed nearly $4 trillion in economic relief, saved or supported over 50 million jobs, and slashed the unemployment rate in half. These are numbers that our country has never seen before. We created choice and transparency in healthcare stood up to Big Pharma in so many ways, but especially in our effort to get favored nations clauses added, which will give us the lowest prescription drug prices anywhere in the world. We passed VA choice, VA accountability, right to try, and landmark criminal justice reform. We confirmed three new justices of the United States Supreme Court. We appointed nearly 300 federal judges to interpret our Constitution as written. For years, the American people pleaded with Washington to finally secure the nation's borders. I am pleased to say we answered that plea and achieved the most secure border in U.S. history. We have given our brave border agents and heroic ICE officers the tools they need to do their jobs better than they have ever done before and to enforce our laws and keep America safe. We proudly leave the next administration with the strongest and most robust border security measures ever put into place. This includes historic agreements with Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, along with more than 450 miles of powerful new wall. We restored American strength at home and American leadership abroad. The world respects us again. Please don't lose that respect. We reclaimed our sovereignty by standing up for America at the United Nations and withdrawing from the one-sided global deals that never served our interests. And NATO countries are now paying hundreds of billions of dollars more than when I arrived just a few years ago. It was very unfair. We were paying the cost for the world. Now the world is helping us. And perhaps most importantly of all, with nearly $3 trillion, we fully rebuilt the American military, all made in the USA. We launched the first new branch of the United States Armed Forces in 75 years, the Space Force. And last spring, I stood at Kennedy Space Center in Florida, and watched as American astronauts returned to space on American rockets for the first time in many, many years. We revitalized our alliances and rallied the nations of the world to stand up to China like never before. We obliterated the ISIS caliphate and ended the wretched life of its founder and leader, al-Baghdadi. We stood up to the oppressive Iranian regime and killed the world's top terrorist, Iranian butcher Qasem Soleimani. We recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and recognized Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. As a result of our bold diplomacy and principled realism, we achieved a series of historic peace deals in the Middle East. Nobody believed it could happen. The Abraham Accords opened the doors to a future of peace and harmony, not violence and bloodshed. It is the dawn of a new Middle East, and we are bringing our soldiers home. I am especially proud to be the first President in decades who has started no new wars. Above all, we have reasserted the sacred idea that in America, the government answers to the people. Our guiding light, our North Star, our unwavering conviction has been that we are here to serve the noble, everyday citizens of America. Our allegiance is not to the special interests, corporations, or global entities. It's to our children, our citizens, and to our nation itself.
2: Now, that's only part of the speech. You can find the rest of it online at justthenews.com. And folks, when we come back, we're going to be joined by Just the News editor-in-chief and founder John Solomon. He's got big stories right now. You can check them out at justthenews.com about recently declassified documents, which were declassified by the Trump administration that offer key insights into the entire beginnings of the Russia collusion hoax. And we'll also be talking with John Solomon about President Trump's warning at the end of the farewell address about making sure that we remain a country where we allow for free expression of every point of view. We'll be back in just a minute. Stay right with us.
0: Ah. <sighs>
2: Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. As promised, we're joined now by Just the News founder and editor-in-chief John Solomon. And I want to encourage all of you to go right now to justthenews.com. Check out the number one trending story on the site. The first Trump declassified Russia document is Christopher Steele's 2017 confession to the FBI. John, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, tonight. great to be with
6: you, here. Yeah. So, so what, have, what have we learned? Well, we now know that Christopher Steele had a motive when he created the yes. Russia collusion narrative and leaked it to the news media. Actually, it was two motives. One was to protect Hillary Clinton because he thought that the email scandal around her was threatening her chance to win the presidency. And so he wanted to counteract it with this Russia collusion narrative. The second motive, and let's keep, in, uh, motivating, let's keep in mind what uh, where uh, Christopher Steele came from. He's not an American. He was a British MI6 uh, agent, former agent. He is a foreigner. He was concerned that Donald Trump was bad for Great Britain, his home country. Those two things he tells the FBI yes. motivated him. To, uh, to put out the Russia collusion story, which we now know to be false. He, we also learned something very important. Where did he get his best information yes. from? Where did he get his subsource? The guy who made up, or you know, whose stuff later was completely debunked. We found out that the former National Security Council staffer, Fiona Hill, who was an impeachment witness against Donald Trump, worked in Donald Trump's NSC before that, she was the one who connected him, to, uh, Christopher Steele, to his subsource. Now, why is that important? We now know that the subsource was assessed by the FBI as early as 2009 to be a Russian asset. He was somebody involved with Russian intelligence. That means an impeachment witness that we didn't know had a connection to a Russian asset and gave that Russian asset to Christopher Steele, which then gives birth to the dossier. Uh, A lot of things that would have been nice to know when we were going through the Russia collusion investigation and the impeachment hearings.
2: And unfortunately, we're only learning about it at this very late moment. Yeah, and, and these these are big revelations they because are. again, this shows the motivation. In Christopher Steele's own words, right. he's saying this is why this entire Russia collusion hoax got started. It was because of Hillary Clinton's email scandal. Yeah, and and what's perhaps most striking, as I was reading it, again, as you mentioned, Christopher Steele, MI6 agent. A lot of people associate MI6 with James Bond, but this is the British. British Secret Intelligence Service. It is oh, yeah. their Foreign Intelligence Service. Ground service, Christ- yeah. Christopher Steele is one of their former MI6 agents, and he's saying that he did this because he was worried about the relationship between the United States and the United Kingdom. Think about the irony that yes. this
6: entire scandal began with the idea that Donald Trump might be involved in a, a, an effort by a foreign country to influence the election, and it now turns out that Hillary Clinton funded a foreigner to influence our election. The entire script has been flipped and the FBI knew in real time all these things. They helped sustain this political dirty trick for two and a half, three years. It's really remarkable as you read through the documents, you're just sitting there wondering, what in God's name was the FBI thinking? Yeah. Why did they keep letting this go on? Yeah,
2: and one of the things I also want to remind our viewers of John, which I really appreciate, is that you've got your story. It's out there. It's a number one trending story. But right. you also have, in the dig-in section, you've got a 26-page document do. that actually outlines the FBI's interview with Christopher Steele where he makes these confessions. Yeah. You can
6: read it yourself. It's great reading. It's very interesting. It's very lightly redacted, so most of the information is public and visible to everyone. And, uh, you know, everyone will make up their own mind. It will be interesting to see what people think.
2: Well, you know, it, and it is. It's so good because people can make up their own mind. Instead of had you, you and all of your reporters do this, you actually put out these sources so yeah, people can read them for themselves. There's a 26-page uh, interview. And then there's also, I think it's a nine or pa- ten page summary over yep. uh, the FBI. The original speaking, notes. Going through the original yeah. notes, all of the highlights of Christopher Steele's confession around this. It is a striking piece of reporting. I encourage everybody to get out there and, 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 and take a look. And John, give us a sense. What else do you think is coming related to the, the as, as we look into more of these declassified documents? It's funny you should ask because yeah.
6: tomorrow morning we're going to yes. have a, an entirely new story that I think will be quite um, uh, alarming to people. It really will cement the idea. We've heard all throughout the Russia investigation that the Republicans particularly see two systems of justice, one applied to President Trump, one applied to everybody else, yeah. including those in the Justice Department. We now are going to be able to illustrate to the American public how a almost identical situation with Hillary Clinton's campaign, an allegation of foreign influence involving money to her campaign, how it was handled 180 degrees different than the way they handled Donald Trump. So here's what we're going to reveal. In late 2014, as Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign was about to announce, about to come to life, the FBI received credible intelligence that a foreign power, a foreign nation, was thinking of taking some of its foreign aid money and routing it into donations to help Hillary Clinton's election. Mm. No evidence Hillary Clinton herself knew about it, but a very serious counterintelligence uh, threat. Mm. The FBI developed a lot of evidence out of a field office and then applied for a FISA warrant. We now know what that is, thanks to Carter Page and and the Russia collusion case. For four months, the FISA warrant lingered with no action. FBI agents became frustrated because their evidence of wrongdoing, their evidence of the plot furthering, had become stronger. Eventually, one agent got the gumption to actually write an email to James Comey, the director. Leapfrogged his entire chain of command and said, I might be out of line, but director, I want to find out why we're not getting this FISA, because it's a very serious matter. And Comey wrote back, I'm ignorant, I don't know anything about it, but I'll try to get smarter about it. Then, all of a sudden, the, the strategy pivots. They're no longer talking about a FISA. They go and they give a defensive briefing to Hillary Clinton through her lawyer, David Kendall. What a difference. Donald Trump never got a defensive briefing when the concerns came in about Russia. He, his ca- campaign was targeted for a full year uh, with a FISA warrant that we now know is based on predominantly false and uncorroborated information, some of it Russian disinformation. Same FBI. Same players, James Comey at the top, Andrew McCabe right beneath them. And they get treated entirely two different ways. Uh, People will really be able to read these documents. I have all the internal emails from the agents complaining, what Director Comey wrote back, and then the actual briefing that they gave Mrs. Clinton's lawyers, everybody can read that, make their own mind up for whether they think this is a good move by the
2: FBI. Wow. I mean, this is a stunning series of revelations because what it proves is that not just is there this rhetoric that, where people had made the accusation, ah, they're treating President Trump unfairly, they're treating, you know, uh, Secretary Clinton differently. We're actually saying that based on your reporting, these documents which you're going to be sharing with people are showing in two exactly similar cases or nearly similar cases, yeah. completely different behavior on the part of part of the FBI. So, again, let's just break this down for, for our viewers. What happened in Trump's case was that they got a FISA warrant, which meant that they could actually go out and they could spy on right. or intercept the communications, phone calls, emails, phone calls, yep. emails all they of this use confidential human sources
6: to record individual conversations wearing a wire. So they did all of the most intrusive and invasive tactics that you could use in a counterintelligence investigation. Does not appear they did that for Hillary Clinton and that the FBI agents were very, very worried. Again, I want to stress, no evidence Hillary Clinton knew about it. Right. But the fact that they didn't look as seriously at this, or at least the suggestion in the emails is that, it really shows the sort of disparate system that
2: I think a lot of people have been complaining about the last five or 10 years with this Justice Department. Well, and also in, in a defensive briefing, again, for, for our viewers who might not know, a defensive briefing is if the FBI gets information that there might be a foreign power who's trying to infiltrate a political campaign, they'd actually go to the candidate and they'd say, hey, watch That's out. right. We know that you're patriotic. These folks are trying to, trying to, to infiltrate the campaign. They didn't do that for President Trump, but That's it right. sounds like... We now have evidence that they did do that for oh, Secretary
6: yeah. Clinton. Irrefutable. We, we can actually see the debriefing or briefing memo that they use for uh, Hillary Clinton's lawyers. And, uh, you know, it does exactly what you would expect the FBI to do in a defensive briefing try to ward, warn them hey, stay away, from, be careful, be dubious of money, put your guard up, be safe. If Donald Trump had been given the same thing, would we really have lived through the same Russia collusion uh, disaster nightmare that we did? I don't know. History won't tell us. But we do know time and again after President Trump became president, he was angry. He told me personally yes. he was angry. He never got a defensive briefing. Why wouldn't they do that for me? And, and I think, you know, people look at these documents, compare the two scenarios, make up their own mind. But um, pretty stark. I, I knew about the defensive briefing. I did not know about the prior efforts to get a FISA and to get it um, and that it was turned down and the FBI agents were upset about it. Really revelatory information
2: when people look at these documents. Wow. And again, this is agents saying to James Comey, hey, this is serious. We should be looking into the Clinton campaign. They were leapfrogging their chain of command to alert the head of the FBI. And you have him uh, treating then-candidate Trump and then-candidate Clinton completely differently.
6: Yeah. And another thing is it looks as though if, if uh, James Comey's response is an accurate response, his own leadership kept him in the dark about Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Who, who in the senior levels of the FBI was keeping Hillary Clinton's uh, interest at heart, protecting her from a FISA, advancing the false narrative about Russia collusion against Donald Trump? I think that's the mission that John Durham is focused on now, the special prosecutor, trying to figure out who in the FBI concocted this scheme where Hillary Clinton got treated differently. Yeah. And as a result of that, A FISA court, a Congress, the American people got misled for a very long time about the
2: Russia collusion story. So I know a lot of our viewers are gonna say, where's justice (laughs) Uh around this? But so what we know is that John Durham's investigation is continuing to proceed. And it could be that there are further indictments that come out of that. We don't know, but it sounds... All the reporting I've
6: been doing the last few weeks point to the fact that they are building the sort of activities that resulted in an indictment. I think the fact that at the very end of Attorney General Barr's Tenure, he uh, upgraded John Durham from just being a normal U.S. attorney taking on a special case to a special counsel, actually special, special prosecutor. That, I think, uh, signs that they really found criminality and they want to bring it to a completion. But now the question is, will the Biden administration
2: see it all the way through? We'll have to find out. Absolutely. Well, John, we very much appreciate you and the entire team at JustTheNews.com for digging into all of these stories. So, folks, again, you can go right now to check out the story about the Steele dossier. It's the number one trending story at JustTheNews.com. And be sure in the morning to check out this earth-shattering story about the way that the FBI treated then-candidate Trump. Compared to how they treated then candidate Clinton. Now, when we come back, we'll have some final thoughts on one of the things that President Trump said at the very end of his farewell speech about free expression in the United States of America. Stay right with us. Well, welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. As you know, this is the show that brings you the perspectives that so often the mainstream media refuses to air and the stories that the mainstream media so often refuse to air. Well, we thought we'd take a look at some of the stories that the mainstream media has been covering. This week, the New York Times published a piece titled Biden Has a Peloton Bike. That raises issues at the White House. The article reads, A person close to the president-elect said that Mr. Biden and his wife, Joe Biden, engage in regular morning negotiations over who gets to ride first. Obviously, big breaking news there from the New York Times. Then, of course, there was an article from E! News Online titled, All the Times, Joe Biden's Love for Ice Cream Melted Our Hearts course, I'd be remiss not to mention those journalists over at the Hill who wrote this story. The Biden-Harris team unveils an inauguration playlist. But it wasn't just the print media. There was CNN's political director last night. Take a listen to what he said about the Biden inauguration.
4: still some uh, tinkering going on with the inaugural address, but his aides are, are, have made really clear it's not like he's trying to ignore or paper over uh, either what happened at the Capitol two weeks ago or what we've been through uh, throughout four years of the Trump presidency. And the contrast on display tonight was so stark. I mean, those lights that are that are just shooting out from the Lincoln Memorial uh, along the reflecting pool. It, I look it's like almost uh, extensions of Joe Biden's arms embracing America. It was a moment where the new president came to town and sort of convened the country in this moment of remembrance uh, outstretching his arms and contrast that with that video you just saw of a disgraced president on his way out at his lowest point uh, in his presidency at the very end here uh, by himself uh, fighting for uh, his political movement to live on. So again, that's CNN
2: claims to be objective, saying that those were extensions of Joe Biden's arms embracing America. It's certainly the type of objective journalism that we've come to expect from CNN. Of course, they aren't the only ones. Earlier this week, a top Biden official appeared on MSNBC to thank their network for their help and support. Take a listen.
1: Let
6: me say one other thing before you let me go. Uh You know, there's been a lot of people pulling for this. Your help has been extremely important because not only have you continued to amplify some of the things that we're trying to do here, but you've been in the weeds and you've talked about the very policies that have been knocking around for a long time and that we've finally been able to get together and put into a plan. So I want to thank you for your advocacy as well.
7: Well, Jared, if
0: you're going to compliment me, there's always more time for that in our show. We're going to continue to cover this. Do you know why? Because policy matters. That's how people's lives change.
2: Of course, that was MSNBC host Stephanie Rule. Uh, a lot of you have also commented that you saw the CBS Sunday morning fawning interview with Kamala Harris and her husband. Of course, we know that the service of Mike Pence and his wife, Karen, received a much different reception by the mainstream media. Now, speaking of the mainstream media, as we mentioned earlier, many of them failed to cover the president's farewell address. In that address, he noted his many accomplishments. Now, the president, as many people know, served without pay for all four years in office. He came in as an outsider and, as any fair person would note, was attacked by the left and the political establishment from even before he was in office. As all of you will remember, the president was hounded for years by the fake Russia collusion hoax. And as you just heard from John Solomon, newly declassified documents published at JustTheNews.com Now show Christopher Steele admitting that the motivation for the entire Russia collusion fake story which hounded the Trump administration for years was just to distract from Hillary Clinton's email scandal. Nevertheless, the left's perpetuation of the Russia collusion hoax led to years of negative media media coverage, and many, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, led her to falsely claim that the 2016 election was hijacked. Well, today, Joe Biden takes office under a cloud. Less than half of U.S. voters say that concerns and allegations of voter fraud were given appropriate attention in Congress. In fact, nearly 40% say that such concerns were simply swept under the rug. President Biden is also the first president, perhaps in American history, to be sworn in in front of the Capitol, in front of the People's House, and to exclude American citizens from the ceremony. Today, over 25,000 troops locked down your Capitol. No American citizen who is not a special guest of the incoming administration was allowed to attend. In his farewell address, President Trump said that he'll be praying for the success of the new administration to keep America safe and prosperous. He thanked America's service members and also law enforcement officers, and then the president, focused on real achievements. He didn't talk about politics, but he focused on results, on things that he and his team delivered for the American people. That included slashing more job-killing regulations than any administration in American history. It included reducing taxes. And it also included fixing trade deals, including withdrawing from the Trans-Pacific Partnership and the Paris Climate Accord, replacing NAFTA with the U.S., Mexico, and Canada trade deal. The Trump administration took a far harder line on China, imposing large tariffs, and the United States unlocked energy resources here at home and became the world's number one producer of oil and natural gas. I remember back in 2005 when I was serving as a White House fellow and then later went to serve in 2006 in Iraq when people were talking about energy independence for the United States and it seemed a far off dream, but it has now been achieved. Before coronavirus, job creation in America was reignited and the United States achieved record low unemployment. And that was record low unemployment for Americans across the political spectrum and in every conceivable geography and demographic, including African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, and women. On healthcare, the administration passed VA Choice for veterans, passed the VA Accountability Act. They also passed bipartisan landmark criminal justice reform. Of course, you'll remember that they put three new justices on the United States Supreme Court. And Space Force was launched, the first new branch of the U.S. Armed Forces in 75 years since the Air Force broke off from the Army. The Trump administration, We should also remember, defeated ISIS, and they took a hard line against Iran, the world's number one state sponsor of terrorism, and they killed one of the world's top terrorists, Iranian butcher Qasem Soleimani. President Trump also took strong action in the Middle East. He recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. He recognized Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights, and he initiated a series of historic peace deals in the Middle East that nobody believed could happen. The president noted that he was especially proud to be the first president in decades who started no new wars. and Like George Washington did in his farewell address or Dwight Eisenhower who famously warned about the military industrial complex, President Trump also warned America about what he saw as one of our great dangers. He said only if we forget who we are and how we got here could we ever allow political censorship and blacklisting to take place in America. The president said that America is not a nation of tame and timid souls who need to be sheltered and protected from those with whom we disagree. He said that's not who we are. It will never be who we are. The president ended by saying that he was leaving with a loyal and joyful joyful heart, an optimistic spirit, and a supreme confidence that for our country and our children, the best is yet to come. Now, that is certainly what I believe. I know that it is what many Americans believe. And for it to be true, it will be up to us as citizens to find ways to revive the republic. And on that note, I want to bring in Dr. Gina Loudon, Real America's Voice President of Programming, who was there in Palm Beach when the president landed. Gina, you were there with the president. You've been a longtime friend of his. What can you tell us about the reception that he received today in Florida?
7: You know, the biggest thing that I noticed, Governor, is the contrast between what was happening in washington dc the the dreary vacancy you know with no people uh, is sort of a glum uh, sadness a dreariness uh, contrasted by a beautiful sunshiny florida day in a free state where throngs and throngs of people were lining the streets all the way from the airport all the way to Mar-a-Lago and then even inside Mar-a-Lago where the president was greeted. He was greeted at the airport. Crowds cheered him all the way. The motorcade went very slowly so that the president and the first lady and the first family could wave at the crowds as they went for what was a long time. And then he arrived at Mar-a-Lago. There were also crowds of people there uh, who were members, friends, family, um, who were there to greet him. And then um, they had lunch. Uh, Members of the first family came out and visited with uh, all of the folks. I went over there afterwards also after I wrapped up um, being on uh, our air and said hello to everybody and got to hear all that they had to say and um, and it was it was a beautiful day you know uh, Laura and Eric were out in the yard playing with the children um, the president was in casual wear Melania had on a sundress it was it was nice to see them enjoying all of the things that they gave up to serve this country. There was a little bit of something in me that said, wow, we really needed them worse than they needed us.
2: Well, Dr. Gina, thank you so much for for joining us for that. And I want to remind everybody, stay right here on Real America's Voice because Dr. Gina is going to be on in just a minute with Dr. Gina Primetime. She's got a fantastic show lined up for tonight. And as you heard, she was on the ground in Palm Beach as President Trump landed, interacting with the president and his family. And she'll be bringing some of those insights to you right after this. Well, again, stay here for Dr. Gina Primetime. We'll be back tomorrow night with more on actionable intelligence. See you then.